chapter fifteen of the splendid outcast by george gibbs this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva green eyes for a moment after jim horton's departure moira sat in her armchair her head buried in her arms more than half stupefied one horrible revelation had followed another with such rapidity that she was aghast at the complete disruption of all the ties that had made her life and this last tie the strongest and the weakest of all that too had been broken as relentlessly as the others she straightened slowly her face haggard with her suffering but she did not move from her chair and her fingers clutched its arms fiercely her eyes staring blankly past quinlevin were following jim out into the darkness of the rue de Tavenne. but her fingers still clung to the chair arms and her body did not move it seemed that her limbs refused to obey her will to follow then after a moment she sank down again crushed bruised and nerveless she felt the touch of quinlevin's hand upon her shoulder and his voice whispering at her ear there akushla i'll be explaining it all to you in the morning go to your room now child and rest she obeyed him silently mechanically not replying or looking at him or at harry her throat like her eyes was dry and parched as though with fever but her hands like her heart were ice-cold in the sanctuary of her own room with the doors closed she threw herself headlong upon the bed racked for a while by shuddering soundless sobs and then after a while merciful tears came jim she whispered hopelessly into the darkness jim forgive me her fingers groped for her crucifix and clung to it seeking strength and courage and after a long while the spasm of weeping stopped and she lay motionless and soundless scarcely breathing she knew in her heart that what she had done was best for jim's soul's good and her own but her heart cried out against the cruelty of it and yet she was sure that if she had followed him beyond the studio door she would have gone out with him into the world glorying in her shame she had chosen her one brief gorgeous pitiful romance was over and what was there left for her here at the studio but the shattered fragments of ruined affections she had lived a lie was living it now like her father she started up at the horror that she had forgotten and sat on the edge of the bed trying to collect her thoughts then she rose with an effort groped for the matches and lighted her candle her father by his own admission her father no longer who was she then a waif the daughter of de vautrin her mirror sent her back a haggard reflection pale and sombre but with blue-black eyes that gazed steadily from their swollen lids strength she had prayed for and courage to do what was right to do and she needed them both now illustration the mirror sent her back a haggard reflection pale and sombre 
there was no sound from the studio she glanced at her clock for hours it seemed she had lain upon her bed of pain with a new resolution she bathed her face and wrists in cold water then went through the kitchenette into the studio to find barry quinlevin he was not there but her husband was crouched in the armchair by the table and the whiskey bottle was empty she shuddered a little but approached him resolutely he tried to rise but with a dull laugh and fumbling the arm of the chair fell sideways into a grotesque attitude where is she began and halted gone out he mumbled struggling into a straighter posture back soon where has he gone he shook his head don't know ask me to stay take care of you my dear she turned away from him in disgust oh don't worry he went on not going to bother you after tomorrow won't see me you know she turned quickly and he laughed again go join my regiment furlough up tomorrow she whispered a thank god below her breath as she stood looking at him and then aloud gently in a new kind of pity for him you'd better lie down harry and get some sleep she said or you'll be in no condition to go on duty thanks ought to sleep haven't slept for weeks seems to me don't seem to care though you'd better there's a room outside your baggage is there too mm, that's nice of you moira returning good for evil baggage he brought it didn't he yes harry he paused a moment and then leaned forward in his chair while she watched him curiously rotten mess what he mumbled she didn't reply and he went on concentrating thought with difficulty he told you i tried kill him didn't he he wagged his head comically i couldn't do that not kill him wouldn't do you know my own brother no not that he put his hands to his eyes a moment and swayed but moira steadied him by the shoulder harry come i'll help you you must go to bed not yet in a minute something say <laughs> he groped for her hand on his shoulder found and clung to it shame i'm such rotter moira beastly shame i'm not half bad sort if leave me alone i was sick out there head of levinsky grinned at me gold tooth grinned at me in wheatfield come harry she broke in again lean on me i'll help you to bed i i was sick all right he shuddered oblivious of her makes me sick now think of it just a head moira nothing else but god what a head it won't do you any good now to think about that she put in quickly for he was shivering as though with a chill no no good now off rotter ain't i come he stumbled to his feet and she helped him to support himself will you forgive me moira of course and as she urged him out of the door toward the vacant room knew you would he mumbled and then go moira 
in the room she helped him off with his coat puttees and shoes and then pulling a blanket over him left him to his own devices and went back to the studio to wait for barry quinlevin but she wasn't weary now from the same reserve force from which she drew the strength to stand for hours and paint even when her sitters were weary she gained new courage and resolution for the return of quinlevin but for a moment she was tempted again the way was clear what was to prevent her from going and finding jim for a moment only then she sank into the chair by the fireplace to fight her battle with herself and wait her glance restlessly passed from one familiar object to another the portrait on the easel the lay figure in the corner in its fantastic pose and heterogeneous costume the draperies for her backgrounds hanging just as they had hung this afternoon and yet all so strangely changed the door of the closet where jim had been hidden remained open exhibiting its untidy interior instinctively she rose and closed it her sense of order triumphant even over her mental sufferings then she went back and sat down to think there was much that she and her that she and barry quinlevin would have to say to each other he came at last expecting to find harry and not the straight figure of the woman who faced him like a pale fury the shadows of pain at her eyes were gone lost in deeper shadows of anger and determination you moira he said in surprise yes i where's harry i put him to bed he was drunk she said shortly the devil he was he frowned darkly and then seemed as ever quite the master of himself if the glance he cast at her discovered her state of mind he gave no sign of uneasiness he approached her with his easy air as if nothing unusual had happened but when he spoke again his voice was pitched low and his eyes were soft i thought you'd be in bed child i've something to say to you she cut in quickly oh very well say on my dear you don't mind if i smoke a cigarette she made no reply he lighted one and sank into the most comfortable chair with a sigh of content at least you owe me something barry quinlevin she began tensely trying to keep her voice under control and announcing her light motif so to speak in her first phrase i'm no chattel of yours no infant any longer to be bandied about as a dupe in your wild plans for the future it's my future you're dealing with just as you've dealt with my past have you had any cause to complain of my treatment of you he broke in calmly you've cheated me lied to me all my life isn't that enough kept me in ignorance of the source of our livelihood god knows what else made me a partner in a crime without my knowledge made me help you to get dishonest money hardly he said it was your own money i don't believe you she said icily if it was my money you would have gotten it for me all of it long ago and lost yourself my dear 
to the duc de vautrin he countered quickly she started slightly that possibility hadn't occurred to her but she went on rapidly you forget that i heard what you said to harry that i know what has been in your heart all these years i was your decoy and you used me as you pleased glad of my working which kept me busy so that i couldn't be inquiring what was going on you forget that i heard why you wanted me to marry harry but i can't forget it would to god i could and you'd dare to ask me if i have anything to complain of knowing all that and knowing that i know it do you think i'm a mere piece of furniture without a soul not to care what my heritage is not to cherish my traditions you built my life on a lie destroyed my very identity in a breath torn down all the sacred idols of my girlhood and young womanhood and ground them under your feet you she caught at her heart and took a step nearer him my mother who was my mother she gasped he shrugged mary callenby the duchesse de vautrin he said easily and you are patricia madeline aulnoy de vautrin impossible i'm no longer credulous you'll have to believe the truth and who are you to ask me to believe you who dared to speak of me of the sanctity of motherhood who taught me that i was your own daughter and that my mother your wife she broke off with a sob quickly controlled it was because i loved you moira dear he said very quietly she halted aghast at this tenderness the familiar tones of which made her wonder for a moment whether she weren't dreaming all the dreadful accusations on her tongue's end but a pain shot through her heart to remind her of her sufferings and was it because you loved me that you dared obliterate me sneered at my pitiful love affair the only passion i've had in my life or will have and even tried to murder in cold blood the the object of it answer me that barry quinlevin the irishman's manner now changed his brows drew together in a tight knot and the long fingers upon the chair arm clenched until the knuckles were white i'll answer you that he said abruptly and more i heard what you had to say with patience and chagrin i'll take the blame for me sins of omission where blame is due trust into your conscience to be forgiven me presently for your harsh tones to one who sinned for the very love of ye but when you speak of this other man who by trick forces his way into your lodgings and your affections learns your family secrets and mine reads your letters and mine makes love to his own brother's wife behind his back your own brother-in-law mind ye and then tells one lie after another to make his story good it's time there was a man about the place to protect ye if ye can't protect yourself stop no i heard you now you'll be listening to me if harry isn't man enough to be looking out for what belongs to him then i am you've given this man your heart acknowledged your affections before us all god be praised that's all it amounts to but when you hear me out you'll be wishing your tongue had rotted before you'd made such an admission he saw her shrink and he rose from his chair following up his advantage quickly there there my dear 
you've almost had enough of trouble for one night gone she murmured staunchly but if you're going to speak ill of jim horton i won't believe you you can do as you please about that but i'll be telling you what i know of him just the same and when i tell you i wish i'd shot him dead before your eyes i'd only be satisfying the conscience of your life-long guardian and protector conscience you she laughed hysterically go on i will little as you like it when i went from here where do you suppose i went to pochard and i wrung from him the truth about your friend jim horton it was piquette morin who helped him from the house in the rue charron i know it i thank god for it it was piquette morin who took him back to her apartment in the boulevard clichy and kept him there until he recovered i know that too go on but you didn't know that piquette morin was a woman without a shred of conscience or morals a woman of the streets who glories in her infidelities to the duc de vautrin whose mistress she is i care nothing for that stammered moira you may not care since jim horton has lied about that too but you will care about the relations that exist between the two of them i won't listen said moira making for the door but he barred her way oh yes you'll listen moira dear and i'll be giving you all the proofs you need before i'm through proofs i dare you all in good time if you'll be patient where do you think i went from pochard's to the boulevard clichy where your precious friend had returned to the arms of madame morin she waved a hand in protest i watched the door of the apartment he came out i followed and where do you suppose he went to the ticket office where he booked up compartment for two on the twelve o'clock train to-morrow for marseilles and what of that she stammered merely that your friend jim horton failing of success with his brother's wife has decided upon a honeymoon to the riviera with a lady who is more complaisant than yourself i don't believe it you'd find it less difficult to believe if you guessed how mad she was for him how handsome she is and how skilled in the wily arts of her sex and trade he said keenly oh he said with a shrug it could only have been a great passion that would have dared the rescue from the house in the rue charon and no man remains long ungrateful for such an act of unselfishness moira leaned against the mantel-shelf staring at him wide-eyed but he met her look with one more steady than hers hardy indignant but injured and grieved too at her attitude skilfully he had baited his hook with a truth that she knew he saw the fleeting question in her eyes and answered it quickly if you want the proofs go to the boulevard clichy now he paused to give the suggestion weight or if you've no heart to-night for such a brutal encounter to-morrow on the train to marseilles he had caught her ear he knew it by the sudden shutting of her teeth over her words the proud lift of her chin the hard look that came into her eyes 
and though she answered him still defiantly her tone had no body in it and trembled with the new uncertainty i don't believe you i don't ask you to but you will believe in the evidence of your eyes and i'll be providing you with that my dear how you hate him she gasped he shrugged and turned half toward her hate hardly i merely despise him i would have killed him to-night with a clean conscience knowing what i do he dropped the cigarette he had taken up and approached her a pace or two oh moira alanov won't you see is it blind ye are to the truth that lies before your very eyes can't you see that it's the love of ye that drives me to protect your happiness have i ever failed ye all these years haven't i given ye your share of all i had answer me that ay even when there was not too much for the both of us i i've heard enough to-night she said wearily i'm sorry i i've done what i thought was the best i'm still your guardian until you come into your own i can't listen to that she shuddered de vautrin my father he bowed his head with tragic grace the same bad cess to him she sank into a chair bewildered and helpless i want nothing only to go away somewhere alone i've heard enough that you shall do presently alanov he said touching her gently the familiar voice close at her ear but now you must be going to bed and trying to sleep tis a cruel day you've had cruel but to-morrow when you've had some rest to-morrow she raised a despairing face you've got to be facing it but no more to-night come she let him take her by the arm to the door forgive me akushla he whispered but she made no reply and left him standing there and quinlevin watched her merge into the darkness within then turned and picked up the cigarette he had dropped lighted it with great care and set and smoked ruminating over the ashes in the fireplace but he had played his cards with the true gambler's knowledge of the psychology of his victim jealousy such a weapon at his very hand it was almost a pity to use it poor child as if she hadn't already suffered enough but there was no choice and she would get over it love never killed only hate only hate he finished one cigarette and then glanced toward the door through which moira had passed then lighted another and composed himself for a while longer it was not until he was near the end of this cigarette that a slight sound caused him to look up over his shoulder framed against the black opening moira stood pale dark-eyed her black hair streaming over her flimsy dressing-gown and then came forward noiselessly moira child he cried rising with an air of surprise you must show me the proof she stammered what you said to-morrow yes if you insist i do it's a test of the truth between you and and him i'll provide it 
you'll leave with me on the twelve o'clock train for marseilles yes anything very well he muttered i'll arrange for it i've some business in nice it's just as well if you come along anything she whispered shivering and still protesting but i don't believe i don't believe go to bed again child i'll call you in the morning as she disappeared he turned toward the mantel hiding the smile of triumph that crossed his lips then he leaned for a long while looking into the hearth poor child he whispered tis a cruel pity but he paused and then turned toward the bottle upon the table which he raised and examined carefully then sat down with an air of disgust the drunken scut he muttered then swore softly below his breath what remained of quinlevin's task was not difficult for he had already anticipated his success with moira by making arrangements with nora burke and tricot nora to face de vautrin with her confession and her evidence tricot to help him in keeping jim horton from reaching the duke by the expression of moira's face when they met in the studio in the morning he discovered that his poison had worked its slow course through her veins irish she was all irish now slow to love and quick to jealousy proud to the quick and capable of a fine hatred when the proofs were brought as barry quinlevin intended to bring them she listened with an abstracted air as he told her that her old nurse nora burke and a man a friend of his were to be the other members of their party she showed some surprise and then a mild interest but he could see that to moira her companions meant very little she was thinking brooding somberly over what he had told her and his air of confidence in his undertaking did nothing to give her courage for her decision and yet he knew that she would abide by it a choice between jim horton and himself and he knew already what that choice was to be for reasons of his own it was important that jim horton and piquette should not see him on the train nor that moira should be presented merely with the evidence of the two of them entering the train the evidence must be condemnatory he would wait and trust to circumstances the thing was simplicity itself the window into the corridor was like a dispensation he passed the compartment once or twice to make sure that the shade of the little window had not been drawn and then when it grew dark saw that piquette had gone fast asleep with her head on horton's shoulder then he acted quickly come he said to moira it is time i showed you who is the liar and resolutely she followed him looked and saw nothing seemed to matter to her after that incredulity surprise and then guilt all expressed so clearly in jim horton's face in the brief moment when their glances had met the pretty painted face upon his shoulder the arm that he withdrew from around the woman's waist her sudden awakening as he started 
all these brief impressions so vivid so terrible in their significance armed her with new strength and courage to hide her pain from nora burke and barry quinlevin he watched her with admiration her heart might be breaking but she'd never whimper now he knew her are you satisfied my dear he asked yes quite she gasped and you'll be listening to nora while she tells you the truth i will good i must be leaving you for a while to talk with my friend and don't be distrusted me again alaneth moira was silent and gazed out of the window into the darkness until nora came and she listened to the tale that nora burke told or seemed to listen and thus quinlevin found them later the girl's hand in that of her old nurse the announcement that they were to get out of the train at st etienne created no astonishment moira moved as in a dream obeying blindly as she had always been accustomed to obey the suggestions of her protector caring nothing for their significance and reassured as to the integrity of his intentions with regard to herself there was no doubting that he loved her in his strange way and the fury he had expended upon jim horton seemed scarcely less than that she now felt for him a man could kill but a woman could only despise she was at least thankful when she saw the train bearing the couple pass out of her sight into the darkness and followed quinlevin where he led to a hotel for the night to another train in the morning to marseilles to nice and the hotel rue where in the privacy of a room of her own she threw herself upon the bed and gazed dry-eyed at the ceiling End of chapter 15